stop meeting like this uh, actually no the, no the fuck we don't because i love it i hope you do too but yeah here we are again and i just want to uh, you know i know that going through the prequels was uh, a hell of a task and i know that i kind of kind of rushed through that last one a new hope but, uh, you know, I hope that you'll kind of forgive me, because no, no matter what I would have done, uh, you know, I, I tried to do what I could to make the prequels slightly enjoyable, you know, <laughs> at least give you something to look back on when thinking about them that, <laughs> unlike them, didn't suck. And I know that that last episode was... Uh, too brief. Uh, but that's just because really two factors. One is the fact that uh, what what part of my episodes are when it comes to through the eyes of a fanboy is trying to take movies that eh, you know kind of suck and fix them. But <laughs> When it comes to the original trilogy, I can't really say other than uh, getting rid of everything that the altered versions give you. I can't really say much about those movies because uh, there's not much that you could really fix. Not unless uh, someone... Let's see here. I'd, uh, well, shit, it'd have to be at least a good... 25 years, uh, 30 years from now, would go ahead and take the whole damned thing and uh, recast it and redo it, you know. Uh, they, I mean, if you asked me, they'd have to do it damn near word for word, scene for scene, but 
even so, there's not much that you want to fuck with when it comes to these movies. And that's just cold hard fact. But, yeah, uh, aside from that though, another reason that <laughs> ah, New Hope Through the Eyes of a Fanboy was eh, sort of brief was the fact that, well, <laughs> nothing really happened in that movie. I mean, it, don't get me wrong, it was a wonderful movie, it was damn near perfection in the grand scheme of things, but as a standalone movie, yeah, yeah, it was, it was enjoyable. I mean, you had, you had an introduction to all these characters without really getting much backstory or explanation outside of a few lines of dialogue. But really, that was it. And everything else was shown to you by great, yet meaningful visuals. And, and that's something that you really don't get nowadays. You have awesome visuals. But today, the meaning behind them almost always gets lost in the shuffle somewhere. But, yeah, that's why I kind of seem to just breeze on through that fucker. And, you know, I might, if I find a way, you might be able to fix the fucker. While also fixing a, a new hope. Well, I don't see that happening, but if the time arises and presents itself, sure, I'll, I'll try to uh, fix both all in one fell swoop. But for now, like I said, today we have Empire Strikes Back through the eyes of a fanboy. Because, as I said, I really appreciate the chance to be able to just all come together and <laughs> find a cure for uh, my rampant lolokesia. But anyway, moving on. Because if you haven't been with us uh, this far into the journey, or if you <laughs> have, and, you know, just want to hear it again, or if you haven't and you've got no damn clue what happened in Star Wars, which I can only hope is like maybe, fuck, two of you. But, you know, let's, let's just go through what you missed so far. Because, well, the first three are, are dedicated to the story and the journey of a young lad named Anakin Skywalker. It chronicles his journey from slave boy to... Eh, wannabe Master Jedi. And his maturing, or lack of maturity. His meeting and uh, falling in love after becoming creepingly uh, infatuated with uh, Padme Amidala. A princess or senator or hell, something from a planet named Naboo. You know, and like I said, it... It follows his journey from child to adult as he falls in love with her. They get married. 
He then becomes completely paranoid that she's going to die in childbirth uh, and that she's going to leave him with two rugrats as a single father that uh, is, you know, at this point, yeah, pretty jobless because he wants to be part of the Jedi Council, but even even they don't seem to get paid because they're wearing the same damn thing every fucking day. But anyway... And because of this and, and his worry of, of losing her, he turns to the dark side uh, with a, a slight nudge from his buddy old pal old friend, the uh, wonderful or wonderfully evil uh, Senator Palpatine. And then, you know, fights his best friend, uh, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan wins, leaves him to damn near burn alive. And and truth be told, he probably would have died from those wounds had it not been for Palpatine finding him and saving him by putting him in a an artificial life chamber of a suit. And this, uh, in fact, was after Palpatine himself had, had pretty much had his face just completely melted. But, yeah, that's pretty much the prequels. And then, skip ahead, uh, probably about... I'd say 17, 18, 19 years, something like that. And uh, we hit Tatooine, where we see uh, Anakin's half-brother Owen raising uh, Anakin's child, which Anakin is completely unaware of. And at this point, there is no Anakin. Once he's in that artificial life chamber of a suit, he's Darth. Darth Vader as we've always known him. Darth Vader as we always wanted him. He's just, he's Darth Vader. End of story. And, and the young boy wants to, he wants something more from life. You know, he, he wants to be able to go out and go to some sort of, shit, I don't know, flying academy or fighter academy. I don't like fuck. Uh, but instead, through a, a sort of a twist of fate. He becomes acquainted with an old pedo hermit named Obi-Wan, who's now a... Well, even though this is only 19 years maximum, he looks like he's aged uh, probably at least... Shit, 30. Uh, between the prequels and this one. But yeah, Luke becomes acquainted with him, and uh, two droids that had tried to seek him out... And then they realize that, eh, these are the droids the Empire's looking for. So, well, they realize they've got to get the fuck out of Tatooine and post-haste. So, they bolt as quick as possible after uh, meeting a pair of eh, guys that seem to kind of like to bend the rules just, just a tad. Uh, well, I say guys, but it's really a guy and a Wookiee, uh, Han Solo and Chewbacca. So, of course, they bolt their asses off Tatooine. But as shit goes down, <laughs> eh, wouldn't you know it, they end up on Darth Vader's ship. <laughs> or planet, or planet ship. Oh, fuck. But they end up on the Death Star. And they end up saving uh, Luke's sister, or, well, we don't know it's Luke's sister right now, but yeah, 
they end up saving uh, another one of Darth Vader's uh, illegitimate children, or slightly illegitimate children. How would that work? I mean, they're not really all illegitimate, but he doesn't know they exist. Eh, fuck. Anyway, so yeah, they save Leia, uh, Obi-Wan dies, or sacrifices himself, it's kind of hard to tell, and then they bolt off the ship, meet up with the resistance that Leia is, is associated with, and there you have it. They end up looking at some uh, plans for this Death Star that uh, Darth Vader uh, has constructed, you know, the ship that these guys were just on, and in no time, fuck, all of a sudden, uh, wouldn't you know it, the ships are in the air, and these guys are taking it to the Empire. And Han, who we thought was Ghost Town just seconds before, <laughs> ends up saving Luke and allowing him to shoot uh, into this itty-bitty little cavern-like thing uh, that uh, is pretty much just laid out right in the middle of the damn ship. And it leads straight to a, a reactor. Or something. And, and once he takes that shot. Kaboom! kaboom! Death Star blown up. Luke and Han uh, both hailed it as heroes. And uh, all caught up. So, let's say that uh, we end up uh, eh, getting this engine revved. Because... That took way too damn long to explain. You know, from here on out, uh, I'm going to skip the whole rundown of what you missed. Because if you haven't gotten caught up with us by then, well, uh, next time will not only be my last of the originals and of the prequels, and but it'll also be... <laughs> My second to last episode of the year, because after Force Awakens drops, <laughs> I'm going to take just a little time off, you know? The holidays are approaching, and it's about that time of year that this fanboy just gets fushnicked right off of eggnog. So I'm going to go ahead and do that, uh, take some time to sober up, uh, then I'm going to get drunk all over again on New Year's Eve. And after that, though, then I promise to be right back with you, okay? But yeah, uh, next time and during the episode for Force Awakens, I'll reference that you can go back to this one or any of the others and get caught up. But I'm not going to get you caught up because I'm just, that's, that's me doing your work, okay? Shit. I don't even like doing my work. So what makes you think I would do yours that often? <laughs> so. <sighs> Alright. Ready? Aim. Fire. Oh, shit. What in tarnation have I gotten us into? Oh, fuck. I guess we've made it through worse, I suppose. Hell, like I said, we made it through the prequels. And... We all know that that wasn't a barrel of laughs, but anyone who can do that, 
can plan my castle onslaught any day. So, you ready? No. Y you sure? Uh, yeah. Ah, fuck it. We're going on anyway. Because, picture this. The year was 1980. Which, eh, I guess that was an alright year for some. Not a great year, but a good year, you know. But anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, the year was 1980. And the movie, well, the darkest, most morally and emotionally ambiguous movie of not only probably the year, but of the whole name franchise. And that movie, of course, well, it was Empire Strikes Back, because uh, if it wasn't, why the hell would this be Empire Strikes Back through the eyes of a fanboy? But now, for those few of you who are either too young to remember all that well, or <laughs> possibly just too damn drunk or hopped up on something in the 80s to really give a damn, or shit, for uh, that half a dozen of you or, or so that uh, haven't even seen the movie. Which I, I gotta wonder what the hell you've done with your life if you haven't seen this fucker. Because I've come across a few of you and I'm deeply sorry, but allow me to express my deepest condolences. Because uh, the fact that you haven't seen it is just a crime. You know, a crime against humanity. But, uh, yeah, so if you have the time, you know, just please. I, I know I went and, and caught you up anyway, but do yourself a favor. Go and, and watch the movies. Because, concerned anyway, you'd be doing yourself a favor. By sitting down and, and just... Take, oh shit, hell, just two hours to sit down and watch this impeccably paced, superb, 129-minute sequel to the uh, 1977 original. And, I mean, I say impeccably paced, because, fuck, it's, it's 129 minutes, and... Before coming up with the idea to look back on these movies, well, fuck, in doing my research, that actually came as a surprise to me, because I had no idea. Okay? I mean, this thing is so damned wonderful, and, and just chugs right along, you know, footloose and fancy free. <sighs> At such a, a wonderfully steady pace. That, fuck, if, without having been told that it was two hours long, there's no way I would have guessed that. I mean, it doesn't seem like that long at all. So, with that said, you know, yeah, it might have been uh, ultimately less successful than its predecessor at the time of release. But Empire is still seen as the greatest thing to come out of the original trilogy. Which, you know, I'm not even going to argue with that. But I will say that 
to be so great that you're considered to be possibly the best out of all the trilogy, which in and of itself was considered to be just one of the ultimate movie-going experiences. You know, the, the whole damn trilogy. Well, fuck. That's a, that's a hell of a huge feat of strength. And not only is it the best thing to come out of the saga itself, shit, I'd even contend that it may or may not be the best thing to, shit, not only come out of 1980, but I stopped short of saying that it's one of the best things, if not the best thing, to come out of the 80s as a whole. But then again, what did it really have to contend with? Killer clowns from outer space? Or uh, my birth? Well, okay, so maybe it's the second best thing to come out of the 80s. But other than that, I think not, my friends. Because if it didn't surpass all movies that it went up against in the 80s, it at least surpassed all damned expectations. Or at least it should have, because... Uh, yeah, it, it may not have been as successful as the original, but... You, you gotta wonder... <laughs> why? Because I don't see anything... I mean, granted, this is after the fact, but... Today, I don't see anything that I can look at when looking at these movies that really I, I can point to as a reason for it not uh, just taking the wonderful success that uh, the original had and not getting the chance to expand on that, if not expound on that, and just completely knock it out of the park. Because it's one of the best sequels ever fucking made. But then again, when it comes to sequels, how many times do you really get to say that? Other than maybe uh, Dark Knight. Because, yeah, there was that one. Maybe even Dark Knight Rises, if that's your cup of tea. But, hell. Uh, point taken, and, and you still get my fucking point, though. Because up until that point in time, which this movie originally came out, you didn't have a single damn sequel that was truly better than the original. You, you, you just didn't. So, our expectations were eh, pretty damned low. So, when you look at how well this damn thing did, as opposed to uh, the original... It wasn't as successful as the original, but I can't believe that word of mouth didn't spread like wildfire after it was originally released, uh, you know, within the first week of, of its debut, and that people just didn't flock to it. I, I, I sit in disbelief of that. I mean, it, it's, it, it confounds me. But the movie itself was once again brought to you by George Lucas. Or at this point, I guess you could probably call him uh, the man with the four-leaf clover shoved squarely up his ass. But he lurked all around this thing. 
because, you see, <laughs> directing A New Hope in 77 had left him exhausted and sick. And he'd intended to take time off to start to focus on the expansion of Lucasfilms. Which, uh, you know... <laughs> you know, I... I mean, come on. Uh, New Hope had been only his, like, what, third feature film? I mean, I, mean, I, I know there was American Graffiti, but I can't even name the thing that came before that, so... Shit, his second successful feature film? And he wants to take time off? That's like saying that, Hell, you know, I know I've been at this job for a good only eight months or so, but uh, well, if you don't mind, boss, I'm gonna go ahead and take the next six months off. Okay? But yeah, he, he decided to take time off, so logically... There was only one thing to do, which uh, apparently was to still try and put the exclamation point right on top of the success of New Hope, uh, and dump the work <laughs> right in the lap of someone else, and, and just uh, run for the hills of California. But yeah, contrary to popular belief, the man praised for bringing us this fantastic ride. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he wrote it. And yeah, he, he probably micromanaged the fucker uh, into oblivion, but... No. He didn't necessarily direct the fucker. He just didn't. Sorry, folks. Hate to be the bearer of... Well, you know what? Actually, it's not bad news, because... Uh, did you see Phantom Menace? If you didn't, you might want to listen to my review of it. Because uh, the fact that he brought us Phantom Menace well after he brought us any of the originals. Well, if this thing had actually been brought out and, and laid out to us in chronological order, but uh, if, if they had basically done the prequels in the 70s and 80s, before they brought us uh, the original series uh, in, in the 90s, which, in that case, you gotta wonder who would play uh, Leia, Luke, and Han. But if they had done that, we probably wouldn't have, have rushed to the theaters quite as quickly as we did uh, in the 90s. You know, I mean, we probably would have said, you mean the same fucking series that brought us, uh, Jar Jar? Yeah, screw that noise. I'm staying my ass home. I don't know about you, but fuck that. But yeah, no. He did not direct this one. And I can't help but think that this one simple fact would actually come to be <laughs> the best thing that ever happened to the movie. <laughs> and... To the franchise as a whole. I mean, think about it, okay? Because he insisted on directing New Hope and the prequels, right? But initially, he really never touched much of Empire or Jedi during the filming process. 
I mean, yeah, he, he was in probably some dark corner, uh, just sitting back and watching and eh, whispering into the ear of whoever sat in the director chair. But no, uh, other than that slight micromanaging and, and just having his, his hand in the jar at all times, eh, you know, it's, it's kind of telling, isn't it? That the ones that he didn't sit his ass in the director's chair for are, to this day, he considered eh, to the two best of the originals. But anyway, the, this movie... The one he barely touched until it was absolutely, well, necessary, but only in his eyes. And again, even when it was totally unnecessary, you know, well, let me tell you, kiddies, this thing is spanktacular, because it's the very moment that we as nerds and geeks and fanboys, whatever you want to call us, shit. I mean, we dropped our loads, okay? Because it's just fucking great. I mean, sure. It had its problems uh, post-alteration, but don't we all? But before the mid-90s, though, it it was damn near perfect. Because it works almost perfectly both in the trilogy and alone. Because if you had combined New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back somehow, shit, I mean, you could you could actually do that pretty damned easily, I think. And yeah, it, it wouldn't be a trilogy at that point, but it works together like that uh, with uh, not just New Hope, but either movie on, on either side of it. You know, you you could combine it and Jedi too, but even without those two movies, if there was just never any other movies, it's still unfucking believable. But then again, we nor the few critics that had the balls to tear down this thing, none of us knew it would end up being only eh, just uh, part two of three, okay? And none of us knew what any of it would come to mean. But blistering barnacles, come on! It's fucking Empire, dagnammit! And I know that eh, that's not saying much to some, but fuck you. It's saying plenty to me. Sorry, sorry. But yeah, as May rolled around of that year, and we crept closer and closer to the movie's release date. No, we had uh, little to no expectations. I mean, yeah, there was some from those that uh, you could probably find at Star Wars Celebration to this day. But not many had the expectations that things like Rogue One and uh, uh, Episode 8 have uh, already to this day. You know, especially as we get closer to Rogue One, you know, which I guess you could say is, in a way, uh, a prequel to uh, New Hope. Because 
word has it that it ends, you know, only eh, just a few minutes, uh, maybe even a few seconds before New Hope begins. But for this one, it seems old man George was <laughs> hoping to take advantage uh, upon delivering unto us the movie that at least most of the world now knows by the name that it would eventually be given. Star Wars Episode V, Empire Strikes Back. And in playing the cards that he did, it all worked out in his, in his favor, because he wanted to take advantage of it even though he wasn't in the director's chair and shit. When he finally gave us this fucker, uh, along with those who probably did a lot more damned work than he did this time around. Well, unless you were completely void of personality and uh, free thought, uh, well, most minds were, and still are today, just completely blown by uh, this movie. And, and unlike that which came before it, this movie has a free-flowing script that regardless of a new hope and what it handed to us was anything but bland as it focused more than anything on uh, its individual relationships. And in a day of focusing on cheap laughs and good times and... Just the group mentality. This sort of shit was more than needed. You know, but I say, you know, it was anything but bland and all that stuff. Uh, and, you know, it sounds like I was digging my heels in and, and trying to run down a new hope. But no, no, no. I'm just giving you the differences between new hope and empire. But, really, if you look at it in the bigger picture, you know, Empire, like I said, was the second part in a three-part act. And if you listen to George, it was always meant to be multiple movies. And, you know, in that light, you can't fault New Hope for really not having much more than it did, because... You know, it set up this world. And that's, in the grand scheme of things, that's all I could have wanted for eh, something that was thrown at us like that, you know? That was obviously going to have something more to it down the road. It's sort of like uh, Bats vs. Soups. If they had actually had character development and half as much action, I, I, I might have um, not really hated it. I might have disliked it still. But yeah, in the roughly two hours that it takes for this ride to finally screech to a halt, in, in that time, we are witness to the bonds that are strengthened in, in a time when our protagonists are at their most damaged and vulnerable. And I know I already said that Lucas didn't direct this movie, 
uh, for the most part. But in a world where we now know that he gave us Jar Jar Binks and uh, a CGI pair and uh, even General Grievous, uh, seeing as this movie was created within a world where it was more the rule than the exception to have everything tied up in a nice little bow, isn't it just sort of comforting to know that uh, in this one moment, <laughs> he really stressed a hands-off approach to the whole damned thing at first. Not to mention, isn't it just a bit odd that he had anything to do with this masterpiece <laughs> at all? I mean, because if it wasn't for the fact that, yeah, it was his brainchild, he wrote it, or at least uh, most of it, <laughs> And the fact that he brought us new hope, <laughs> and shit, without that we wouldn't get Empire or Jedi. Isn't it just a little weird that he had anything to do with it? But no, this granddaddy of all sci-fi films was in fact directed by Lucas's former film school professor, Irvin Kirshner who actually declined the job to change tunes uh, after being swayed by his agent, who obviously saw dollar signs on the wall. But later, eh, Kirshner would also go on to direct Robocop. The good one, not, not the reboot. But, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> much, 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 much later. But right now, it's time to focus on this moment in, in Irv's directorial uh, career. Because don't get me wrong now. Yeah, George helped, and like I said, write this damn thing. And uh, he personally and single-handedly bankrolled the fucker. But while that may cause some of you to say, Well, uh, that means he had some pull in it all uh, Right? I mean, and it didn't uh, turn out to totally suck. Right? But screw that. Just keep in mind that eh, Christopher Nolan was executive producer on Man of Steel. And a lot of people thought that <laughs> eh, just that fact alone caused so many fans to say, Yay! Yay! The same guy that lifted Batman out of the ditch is gonna be able to save Superman! We can all forget the year of Ralph! Yay! But, it didn't happen, did it? Which is why, to this day, I still call this the Kirshner film, alright? When, when I talk about it, uh, nine, nine and a half times out of ten. Shit, I try to never, ever even mention Empire and Lucas in the same breath, let alone uh, in the same thought, or even in the same day. But enough of that shit, because it's time to stop jabberjawing and get to the fucking movie. So, but as with its predecessor... As the Grammy and Golden Globe-winning soundtrack kicks in 
with the Imperial March. Well, and even before that, when it accompanies the ever-scrolling text crawl. Oh, fuck. The, <laughs> the Imperial March oh, was so ominous and <laughs> just hot as shit. You know, but yeah, as it plays, and uh, fuck shortly, because this isn't just shortly. This is immediately after the text crawl. We're all sort of just tossed right into the midst of things here, folks. And actually, <laughs> we're kind of done so with little or no explanation given within the text crawl. Uh, other than really what we were left with in the last few minutes of A New Hope. I mean, yeah, the, the text crawl kind of fills us in just a little bit more. Uh... Not much more, but a little bit. But other than those little bones that they just threw at us. Mm. Outside of what we were given in, in the closing moments of A New Hope, we, we don't get much more explanation of what the fuck's going on as we're just tossed right down there on the, the snowy surface of a planet. And, you know, yeah, like I said, there was a few bones in the text crawl, but Luckily today, you have people like me to read it for you and fill you in on all that's gone down since uh, the last go-around. As uh, it all explains that three years have uh, gone by after destroying the Death Star, <laughs> and the Rebel Alliance has suffered setbacks in their struggle against the Galactic Empire. And still under the leadership of the villainous Darth Vader, who hasn't missed leading the evil pricks in their pursuit of Skywalker and the rest of the gang as they conceal themselves within a camouflage base where Luke's been since becoming a rebel commander. You know, they're, they're, they're hot on the uh, rebels' tails. And the fact that Luke's become a rebel commander so damn quickly actually kind of explains how someone like Porkins... Uh, made the cut in that last one. But as the Rebels may have won at the end of A New Hope, eh, they're still on the run, as uh, this all kicks off with an almost, uh, like I said, immediate dark vibe that uh, gives you the idea that eh, something ain't quite fucking right here, folks. <laughs> and the appearance of a reconnaissance droid kind of confirms that. You know, because it's one of many sent by the Empire and Vader throughout the galaxy that, well, that little shit and his friends, uh, they don't help things as it uh, fucking lands on this frozen hellhole of ours uh, called Hoth. And while this uh, desolate ice planet uh, not fit for life just kind of looks like uh, Norway in a big damn snowstorm. Or uh, South Dakota in a big damn snowstorm. Or <laughs> Minnesota and North Dakota in a big damn snowstorm. You know, uh, yeah, backtracking a little bit still. Uh, that's right, like I said, Darth Vader, the baddest mofo in the known galaxy. Uh, the last time we saw his ass, 
That burn-up old snollygaster uh, was spinning out of control in his TIE Fighter after the original Death Star went boomy. But fear not, the Sith Lord was able to ultimately regain control and drive that uh, intergalactic smart car of his to the uh, closest Empire-friendly shell station, or something along those lines. And I don't know about you, but after aimlessly wandering around all for all this time looking for a friend, if I was Vader, I'd be damned pissed. But, whatever. Let's just say that I doubt uh, he's gonna let bygones be bygones, alright? But, let's not linger on that for too long, because uh, Hoth, right? Yeah, we, we were just there. And, uh, on Hoth, Luke gets pounded by something that looks to be part yeti, uh, part sheepdog. And as he's being held hostage by his uh, new furry friend, well, well, we don't want to miss out on that uh, shit. We get thrown uh, into the base uh, not too far from him, where they're trying to figure out where the fuck he is. And... <laughs> After they've closed the garage door, <laughs> only then do they realize that he's still out there. So, of course, the ever-grandstanding and loyal is uh, just damn near anything Han Solo uh, rushes out there to try and find his friend. But then we see Luke <laughs> hanging upside down in some cave uh, as he uses the Force to reach out to his lightsaber and free himself via a sequence made uh, into reality in the laziest way possible, uh, other than having Michael Bay direct, uh, by just having <laughs> Hamill throw the lightsaber into the snow and uh, then playing it backwards as the lightsaber rushes back into his arms. But, yeah... After cutting himself down, uh, he dispatches the humongoid fuzzball and makes his escape. Or at least half of it. Because you see, things go a little haywire once he's back out in the uh, elements. Because uh, his tauntaun, his uh, transportation, well, it literally dies on him shortly before he himself uh, succumbs to the ball-busting cold. But, like I said, <laughs> never fear, Han is here. Again. Yeah, and he, he sweeps in after a few laughs back at the base. Because uh, as he arrives, <laughs> just about uh, the time that Luke's seeing that uh, bright light at the end of the long tunnel. Wait a minute, that's... Shit, that's Obi-Wan. Or at least his ghost. But yeah, Luke sees Obi-Wan's ghost. Or force ghost, if you will. And about that time that Luke's hallucinating and getting some sort of hmm, trippy message from the spirit of his former mentor, informing him that <laughs> he must go to some place called Dagobah and, and locate former Jedi Master Yoda. 
who apparently is an old friend of Obi-Wan or some such bullshit. But about that time, well, there isn't enough life on this ice cube to, to fill a space cruiser. So when Luke's loudmouth loud of a friend finally arrives, a few hours late and a few pennies short, well, after uh, being pestered by that pint-sized lint liquor Leia, who's, eh, frankly, worried about the well-being of her uh, brother lover. Ah, shit. When the mercenary with a heart of gold finally arrives, he, he's got to think fast in order to save his little buddy. As we see him become the only non-Jedi, non-Sith. Well, at least we think uh, the only one, because we're not quite sure about Finn just yet. But possibly the only non-Jedi and non-Sith to have ever, or at least at, to this point, uh, ever picked up a, a lightsaber on camera. As he grabs that bright blue tonsil tickler, so that uh, he can slice open Luke's now-dead Tauntaun to find warmth within its hollowed carcass. Shit. And you thought those things smelled bad on the outside. But, yeah, they, they smelled just as bad on the inside. Because what else are you going to do, you know? Lie there and wait for rescue and just hope that you don't fucking die first? No, but, yeah, they end up getting rescued eventually, and, eh, once they go ahead and get a chance to finally, uh, rejoin, uh, the others, uh, as Leia slips Luke the tongue, which, uh, I gotta think that she probably regretted later on, and is just kinda creepy considering that she says that she's always kind of known somehow that they were brother and sister. Uh, quite uh, fortuitously, if you ask me. Uh, Luke decides that he has little choice but to listen to the translucent remains of his former uh, Jedi Master of all of about 15 seconds. You know, uh, Obi-Wan to fast-forward through that shit. And, uh, he has little choice but to listen to him and go off to seek out this Yoda. <laughs> Which, frankly, eh, to, to those around him, has got to sound like the stupidest fucking move ever. But whatever, because right now he can't go anywhere anyway and, and until he uh, helps win the Battle of Hoth. Which... If you've never had the pleasure of seeing it play out on film, even in its simplicity, it's amazeball-tastic. Okay? I mean, even with the eyesores that are those damned hand-painted backdrops that plague the screen time on this planet, even with those, none of that crap really takes away from just how awesome the rest is. And you can't say that about most films nowadays. Because when they have something like a painted backdrop today, 
or, you know, things like that. Hell. It's so fucking unfortunately obvious that it it makes me want a poopy. That's how bad it is. But besides, give me slightly cool-looking yet cheaply done stop animation with a few uh, nonsensically scattered miniatures over pointless cartoony-looking CGI that uh, costs a shitload of money any day. That's just me. <laughs> but, oh, oh, shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Battle of Hoth, right? Yeah. Uh, that little recon droid that uh, was probing the area earlier. Well, uh, that little son of a bitch tattled on our ragtag bunch and uh, let slip to the Empire uh, just exactly where the fuck they were. And the Empire <laughs> just so happens to be on their way. Right about now. And as the uh, Imperial fleet <laughs> launches an attack using their giant walkers, led by Vader, with the rebels mounting a, a strong defense, while Luke brings uh, down a few walkers single-handedly after his fighters disabled. Ah, uh, shit. That's, that's when the real fun begins. As the base is captured in short order with the rebels once again on the move. As Han and Leia stop their bickering long enough to escape on the Millennium Falcon. With uh, prissy little C-3PO and, and that uh, walking carpet Chewbacca as uh, R2-D2 tags along with Luke. But, yeah, they they hop into the Falcon and head off for that good old uh, sound studio at uh, L Street Studios in London, where over 60 sets were built. But either way, wherever they're headed, unfortunately for them, like I said... Their hyperspace drive malfunctions, and they've got to hide in an asteroid field, which neither they nor the ensuing Empire chose to really go around rather than through. But who the hell's got time for this, uh, such hogwash-like, pure fucknut logic like that, you know? Especially at times like this. Anyway... After barely missing out on some worm-like asteroid creature's lunchtime, the Falcon must avoid capture by the Empire yet again. And how do they do it this time? Well, <laughs> they float away, masked by the leavings of a Super Star Destroyer, Invader's Fleet. And that's right, I, I said it. Super Star Destroyer. You know, take that Star Destroyer that you saw before and basically magnify it to just astounding proportions. It's like if the original Star Destroyer was Rhode Island. Uh, well, shit. This Super Star Destroyer uh, would probably be Texas. But unlike Nintendo's old-school motto that uh, putting super in front of a name 
will ultimately make it better, or at least seem better. This time, the ship is actually better. Because, <laughs> you know, the Empire aren't usually ones to listen to such nonsense about uh, it not being the size, but how you use it. Because if something doesn't live up to the hype or, or the, the uh, intended use, they don't go back to the drawing board. They say, well, let's do the same damn thing, only uh, bigger. Which actually kind of sounds like George's directorial motto. But thanks to that, they've now trucked out the biggest and baddest toy ever. Or at least it was at that point. And for that matter, where was this sucker to begin with? The Imperial Garage? Because we didn't see hide nor hair of this damn thing throughout the uh, the whole first movie. I mean, we, we didn't even get a, a slight <laughs> uh, nod to it, you know, a, a verbal mention. But while you've got to wonder where they get all the money to build and buy these fucking things... Have you ever seen how much our uh, own politicians make here on Earth? Uh, Democrat or Republican? <laughs> Hell, even the Green Party? Have you ever seen their paychecks? <laughs> Shit. Even those that uh, get Social Security, have, have you seen how much they get per month? Fuck. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not totally unbelievable that... An empire that that rules not just a country, but a whole damn galaxy would have that kind of cash just laying around. Whatever, because after the Falcon slyly evades uh, these bad mamma jammas and makes their way to Cloud City, which is a floating gas mining colony that uh, uh, happens to be, you know, just in the skies of the planet Bespin, and run by uh, Han's old womanizing frenemy, <laughs> the uh, Baron Administrator of their current surroundings, as uh, the former captain of the Millennium Falcon, <laughs> Lando Calrissian, <laughs> comes out to join them. Played by Billy D. Williams. Probably because he was... <laughs> Tired of just sitting at home, and they had already turned him down for Han, or... I don't know. For whatever reason, yeah, he's Lando. And frankly, he fit right into the character. Cooler than the other side of the pillow. Yeah, oh, and before going any farther, uh... Just as with that text crawl, the floating city just so happens that... Eh, that was also ripped from Lucas's childhood cinematic obsession, Flash Gordon, which, eh, hear him tell it, <laughs> was one of the biggest and, and possibly most obvious inspirations for any of this shit. But, eh, desperate to find those no-good meddling kids, <laughs> two of which uh, happened to be his, Vader turns to 
several notorious bounty hunters, <laughs> including that icy vein clotpole Boba Fett, who has gained uh, infamy throughout the galaxy. And we gotta wonder, ah, shit, after seeing his daddy's head roll by the hand of the Jedi, in uh, all those years since, what kind of stuff has this badass armored bastard uh, really been up to that Vader feels the need to instruct him that he wants no disintegrations? Because I would assume that, frankly, that was a given. But anywho, all this talk about Han and Leia, right? Leaves you wondering, what the fuck ever happened uh, to Luke? Because, well, as most might have assumed, Luke escapes in a X-Wing and crash lands on Dagobah. Dang near right in Yoda's living room. Which, yeah, frankly, probably would have pissed the uh, little green shit off from the start. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's he's been left alone for all this time, and then all of a sudden... Here comes this young whippersnapper, and he just, he crashes right into the poor bastard's kitchen. So, that's a great way to make a first impression. And I gotta ask myself and you, in these initial moments together, right after Yoda steps onto the scene, why doesn't R2 <laughs> uh, tip off Luke that, uh, that is Yoda. I mean, it's not like these fuckers haven't met before. I, I just... <laughs> anyway, he meets the old uh, diminutive and decrepit green uh, midget, uh, Master Yoda, who, I gotta say, is a perfect example of why oversaturating, well-built and effectively contain characters in order to meet your own selfish storytelling wants. Just sort of ends with you <laughs> smearing shit stains uh, on all characterization in exchange for a few momentary cool dude jag off moments. You know what I mean? Because really, shit. When it comes to the prequels, as opposed to right now, when you first see him, that's really, that's all that happened. But, you know, uh, I guess it kind of prepared us, because that's, that's what I fully fucking expected to get from uh, not only uh, one single Star Wars movie, but uh, the whole damn collected lot. And, really, uh, shit... That's kind of what we got from Episode 7, and that's what we will probably end up getting for Episode 8, and that's what I pray for every night that we don't get uh, in Rogue One, even though we'll probably get it anyway. And not only all that, but Yoda, <laughs> the asshole sort of... It looks like a methed-out runaway from the Tatooine old folks' home, as he, <laughs> at first, pretends to be a simple swamp inhabitant in order to, uh, oh, I don't know, test Luke's patience. 
but after conferring with the spirit of that uh, ninny hammer Obi-Wan, the little green dingus finally uh, cops to having pulled the wool over Luke's eyes and, you know, admits to who he is and shit, accepts taking the farm boy on as a pupil. And I can only hope that every night on that damn swamp, he ended the day with saying, Good night, Luke. Most likely kill you in the morning, I will. But before I go any farther, I gotta stop yet again. I know I'm making a habit of it, and I'm sorry, but Frank Oz's puppetry is just fucking amazing. Then again, uh, what would you expect from the man that uh, brought us Grover? <laughs> Which, Miss Piggy and Grover and Yoda? Oh my. Uh, anyway, bad, bad example, but it's still even more realistic than eh, most CGI around today. And definitely more realistic than <laughs> any of the CGI in the prequels. So, how do you like them apples? Anyway, but after uh, they escape the Battle of Hoth and, and end up in Cloud City, well... Han is convinced that eh, somehow, even though he's fucked over this guy before, uh, he, for some reason, thinks that he can count on Lando to shield him and, and, and save him. But, eh, you, you ain't gotta be a Jedi to see the fact that he's about to get double-crossed. <laughs> and now, <laughs> they're all in Vader's possession in an effort to lure Luke to Cloud City and be able to give him his comeuppance. But uh, after having seen her love dipped into uh, some sort of chamber that uh, freezes him in carbonite, uh, you know, in one of the most uh, iconic scenes in fuck the prequels and fuck the originals and fuck the whole damn saga, any damn movie ever. As she sees this in just a, a legendary cinematic moment, Leia uh, begins fighting off everyone to try and make yet another escape. You with me? Because <laughs> that's basically it. That's, that's basically the movie. That, that, at least the bulk of it. But, anyway, there is that moment when Luke goes into eh, this little bit of forest area that Yoda tries to warn him about. But Luke decides not to listen to him and eh, goes in anyway and <laughs> just uh, goes on some sort of bad acid trip or something because... All of a sudden, yeah, he's fighting Vader, uh, and he wins, and all of a sudden, Vader's helmet uh, is chopped a little bit, and it reveals Luke's severed head. So, seeing that as a kid really fucked me up, but, eh. Anyway, yeah, there's, there's scenes like that, and, you know, uh, laugh it up, fuzzball, and all that good stuff, uh. But 
all that uh, pretty much leads to Luke suddenly getting a a feeling, uh, thanks to the Force, that his buddies are in danger. So he's got to be the big man and rush to to help them. And all this does is lead to a one-on-one with Vader. And as for the fight itself, there are no words for how sweet the confrontation between Luke and Darth really is. But let me try anyway, because as Leia tries to make her escape on the Falcon with Lando and Chewie and the droids, and uh, as Han gets uh, shipped off to Jabba the Hutt uh, with Bubba Fett in tow. Uh, like I said, let, there are no words, but yeah, let me try. I, I got it. I got it. <sighs> Sweeter than molasses. No? No? Okay. Sweeter than Georgia Brown. No? No, no again? Ah, hell. Just forget it. Forget it. Okay? But we aren't quite there just yet. Because, like I said, we still got to deal with a few comical arguments between Yoda and R2 and uh, Luke's brief but uh, intensive training, and which we all see uh, in a brief montage of him running and punching slabs of meat uh, or some such bullshit. Wait, that's, that's Rocky. Uh, but yeah, it all just seems like uh, it needs to be set to an inspiring 80s hair rock ballad. But during which, his power in the Force <laughs> grows exponentially. But unfortunately, <laughs> they really don't show just how much <laughs> in the way of him getting stronger. In fact, <laughs> they probably chose to uh, have that wrinkly old puppet to duke it out with R2 for no other reason other than uh, the whole fucking segment would have been boring as all holy hell. Plus, it's not like they could have had Yoda bickering with Luke, seeing as Hamill couldn't really hear jack shit over his uh, earpiece that for some reason kept picking up the stones. Instead of Oz's lines, when dealing with Yoda anyway. But as I was getting to, during this training, uh, Luke suffers the slight mental breakdown, uh, thanks to that segment I mentioned and uh, that vision he had with his uh, severed head and Invader's helmet, which apparently somehow means he failed uh, some sort of test of Yoda's. But I think that little green ass face just wanted to screw with the guy a little, you know? I mean, he's been alone for at least uh, these damn near 20 years. And I think he just needed a little entertainment. Because fuck, he deserves it. Because I don't see any casinos or strip clubs on Dagobah. So I, I say give it to him. Anyway, uh, and that's not the end of the troublesome times for our hero uh, in the making. Like I said, because 
He later becomes so troubled by those premonitions upon and Leia in pain that he's just got to try and save them because they all get screwed over by Calrissian and handed over to the Empire. Then all of a sudden Calrissian decides to have a change of heart and tries to save Leia after having screwed over his one-time friend and uh, one-time enemy. So, of course, he can't leave his homies hanging. But despite Yoda's and Obi-Wan's disapprovals and warnings, he leaves Dagobah to try and eh, save the day, but promising to return to complete his training. Which, basically, <laughs> now that little rebel conard is in quite the sour pickle. Because... Yeah, you know, now, basically, that little prissy whore with a hero complex eh, runs off to confront Vader in order to save his comrades. <laughs> and as his X-Wing fires up, he doesn't hear the, the words of Yoda and, and Obi-Wan, which probably, if he knew what they had just said... About there being another, I'm sure he would have wished that he had stuck around for shit another five minutes or so. But yeah, off he goes to try and save them from whatever sort of trouble that uh, that little passive-aggressive knob jockey Lando had gotten them into. But to Lando's credit. He did it all reluctantly. I mean, he did it to try and eh, save his own ass, really, uh, from Vader and eh, just about anyone else uh, associated with Vader. As he tried to, just all he all he wanted was to be able to continue his way of life. You know, and not just him, but anyone who works for him. But... To get the upper hand on Billy D, you just you gotta wonder what kind of blackmail would would cause him to turn on Han like that. You know, was there a video with uh, his lightsaber and some poor Ewoks uh, uh, asshole, or I don't know, uh, compromising pictures of him molesting a Wookiee? Fuck, could have been anything. But because it could have been anything, it was probably just something distastefully obvious, like to prevent the Imperial takeover of his city. But with Han out of the picture for right now, and uh, if Harrison had anything to do with it <laughs> forever, and as uh, Lando and Leia try to eh, duck and cover, Vader lays in wait and intending to put Luke in, in the same suspended animation chamber that uh, he had just dipped Han right into. Because Han was merely a test subject for the chamber. And then uh, he was just handed right off to Boba Fett. But, you know, like I said, yeah, at one time Harrison probably wanted to be able to Die with some dignity, you know? <laughs> Just get his association with the whole damn thing over and done with. 
but considering the payday that he got in this last one, and uh, the shock that was really not shock at all by fans all over the world as he gets sliced through by Ben, I mean Kylo. Hell, I gotta, I gotta imagine that there's at least part of Ford that is actually happy now that they didn't kill him off at that point, and and that he was able to come back with that uh, half sincere smile on his face for the last chapter. But I'm getting way ahead of myself, as I do often, because Back to the Future, I mean movie. As Lando tries to allow his future to define him uh, as he frees Leia and Chewbacca from any sort of harm that might have come to them. You know, right along there with uh, that megatwit C-3PO, who was uh, earlier disassembled, and then only to be put back together by... uh, the simple-minded Chewie. Uh, Luke uh, kind of reeks an oiter a little bit and, and tries to get his bearings about him, which he doesn't exactly have very long, because sooner rather than later, and as we all saw coming a, a galaxy away, Darth lets himself be found by Luke in almost no time as you begin to wonder if that was all just a bit too easy, as they engage in a, in a duel with their fluorescent tallywhackers in a battle that leads them over the central air shaft of Cloud City in yet a, another legendary moment, because this fucker was just full of those. But yeah, it, it's while giving Luke the shaft, hee-hee, <laughs> or at least leading him to one, that Vader severs Luke's right hand, disarming him in more than one way. And in an unscripted reveal fit for Mori Povich that only a small few were privy to before the uh, movie was ever seen in its full entirety, he adds his own little salt to the wound that he just gave the poor little shit, as he reveals to Luke, in both one of the most misquoted moments of all time, and one of the best-kept secrets of all time, that he did not kill Luke's father. But, rather, he is Luke's father. And together... They can come together as father and son and wipe out that Fliberty Gibbet, the Emperor, who was eh, not played by Ian McDermott uh, just yet, who we associate with the role today. But it just wasn't Ian McDermott until it just was, you know? So, yeah. In in this one and only instance, I guess, George, you did something right, okay? Because <laughs> at least this helps in the continuity of things. 
Just a little bit. But I'll give you credit. You at least tried right there. So, And in taking him out, like I said, they could rule side by side as family. But he conveniently leaves out exactly what he did to Luke's mommy. But mortified by this revelation from the man that he had looked at all his life, or at least for the last four years, as being nothing but a pure evil persona non grata. Well, Luke doesn't really think about it for very long, and he declines his old man's offer, and not one for confrontation. It's right about then and there that Luke decides it's time to tuck tail and run. So... What a fucking pussy. But rather than join the family business, <laughs> he decides that it's better to simply perform the one stunt in the whole fucking thing that uh, Mark didn't do himself, as he falls uh, right to his escape through an air shaft below. So, isn't that just anti-fucking-climactic? by sliding through a slip-and-slide tube system and chancing that he'll either fall to his death or desperately hoping that he'll be able to be saved by groping and grabbing onto well, just about any part of this uh, floating ship or uh, city. He tears ass to safety, and luckily for him, he rolls the dice and, like every other damsel in distress, it's, yeah, it, it is. It, it's hold on for dear life until someone saves his ass. Which, uh, thanks to the Force and uh, Leia somehow being able to sense him, yeah, Leia and Lando uh, decide to swoop in and, and pick him up, and eh, they save his ass. And as they hit that old uh, hyperdrive, and get going, nice and quick. As they hook you with a shot of everyone looking out into hyperspace. Yeah, there we pretty much are. Because, yeah, I mean, there's that moment where Vader uses the Force to, to talk to Luke for a second. And, you know, the whole, Ben, why didn't you tell me? only to get absolutely nothing from Ben. And, uh, yeah. Abadee, abadee, life goes on. <laughs> That's all, folks. For now. But, yeah. Hey, now. Stop that. There's no reason for name-calling, you foul-mouthed son of a bitch. Yeah, sure. There's the deed of raking in all the cash that uh, fans forked over. Then I suppose you could make the argument that uh, I still have two more to go. You know, one more in this trilogy, and then episode seven. But who's counting? I counted down the prequels, but that's just because I, I had to keep my head uh, wrapped around the fact that it was only temporary. But... Whatever the case may be, uh, if you like this and any of my other episodes, 
Go to Patreon and support the show by searching for RPM Fickle Fanboy. Or reverse the two. Fickle Fanboy RPM. Whatever gets you there. And find me on Twitter at, at Fickle Fanboy RPM. Or on Instagram at, uh, at the Fickle Fanboy Podcast. But until next time, I'll be seeing you.